We're looking at Acts chapter 5 today. Dr. Luke wrote this about 61 AD, and uh, we know his name meant light bearer, light bearer, and he was. And he wrote during this time of transition, which we've talked about, Acts is the complete history of the church, like Chronicles is the history of Israel. And so we're grateful for this great book. And we've just learned about a great example, Barnabas. Someone who actually, Galatians says at one time was kind of caught up with some of the hypocrisy of the day. But here he is a great man uh, of God and he is obedient to God's leadership in, in his life. And he gives, uh, sells uh, some things he owns and gives the money to the church. But believe it or not, the message here and the passage is not about giving today. Although we'll mention giving, it's really about integrity and honesty. And we'll learn from our passage today. I have a friend who had a book by Warren Wearsby called The Integrity Crisis. And a friend said, could I borrow it? And he loaned it to him and he never got it back. I thought that's funny. Uh, we have an integrity crisis. It's not just on borrowing books, but we have a crisis in our world, don't we? It's amazing to me how many people swear with their hand of the Bible and raise their right hand and lie in courtrooms and lie in television interviews. And, uh, uh, you know, Jacob started us off with the habitual lying, but he learned that from Isaac who lied and from Abraham who lied. And we've all received our sinful nature. You know, all of us can lie. But there is an integrity crisis today. We're going to read chapter 4, verse 36 through chapter 5, verse 2. And we're going to study actually longer than that or down through verse 11. But if you'll stand with me and read 436 through 5.2, it says here, Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according to as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, <clears throat> which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And today's text begins here. But, I've said before, don't ever enter a budding contest with God. You'll always lose. Jonah, remember, got on a ship to flee to Tarshish, but God sent out a strong wind. But Jonah went down, he was sound asleep, but God sent a great fish. Now we know this is a play on word of pun, but don't get in a budding contest with God. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. God bless us. As we take a look in your book for a walk in an evil, ungodly world, a world without integrity, with poor leadership in most nations, a world, a godless world, where Satan is indeed the god of this world. But Lord, help him to be, remember he's Lord of our lives, to surrender to his lordship, to live for him, to serve him, to listen to your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. But in contrast to verse 32, where there was great unity and everyone went out of their way to take care of one another, in contrast to that, we have this story of Ananias and Sapphira. Remember, they had a problem in this day 
with 11 of the Sadducees and Pharisees, their doctrine. And that doctrine was hypocrisy. Remember, they were all concerned about uh, how, they, how they looked in the presence of men, their appearance in front of men. They weren't concerned about pleasing God. They were all about an outward show and not concerned about inward character. Uh, God's more concerned about our thoughts than our actions where we're trying to impress people. God wants our hearts to be right. And that's what the, really, the message is about. No one, no one can serve two masters. And we know the love of money, not money, but the love of it is a root of evil. And we find evil here. And, it, and God was not saying here for, you know, everyone that had to go out and sell their lands and houses and bring it. This was all a voluntary offering here. These people did it because they loved God and loved his people. And remember, there were 60,000 slaves in the Roman Empire. And so, so many of the church people were household slaves, servants, worked in the fields uh, and treated badly. There was extreme poverty and extreme cruelty in that day. And so here's the church, a church on fire with great unity. And in chapter 2, we learned that they all gave voluntarily and cheerfully to take care of each other's needs. And we know this is all a voluntary gift. He says, by your own power. It wasn't mandatory. God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, they gave here, Ananias and Sapphira gave. They died, and of course, their giving was not sincere. It was dishonest. They were giving to impress people. All of us have been tempted at times uh, to give so we can impress someone. But Jesus gave a hyperbole, didn't he? Let not your right hand know what your left hand doeth. In other words, he's saying we should be so secretive in our giving that no one knows what we give. And uh, we can't always be that secretive, but we try. We, we know it's difficult to keep that a secret, but we know that they gave, but they weren't sincere, and they were instantly killed. And this is quite a shocking text, as we'll learn. Now, someone said, well, I don't like that about Acts 5. It seems to teach communism. No, it doesn't teach that at all. This was voluntary giving. Communism just takes. Communism says, what's yours is mine, I'll take it. Covetousness says, what's yours is mine, I want it. Or what's yours is yours, it should be mine, I want it. Christianity says, what's mine is God's. We'll share it. And so this was voluntarily. And here it says in verse 2 that they kept back a certain part. Laid it at the apostles. They kept back part of the price. They sold land and wanted everyone to believe they were giving everything from what they sold, but they were really misleading people. Nowhere in the text we find God expected everyone to give their lands and houses. And, and nowhere do we find in the New Testament where we're told to give our houses and sell them and give them to the church. Now televangelists ask that sometimes. We don't do that. And, but this text is not about you going. I, I heard, I've heard people say, well, you should sell your house and give it to me. Evangelists have said that. And people have done that. And they didn't find where their needs were met quite the way they were, were expecting their needs to be met. So we know there's a lot of false teaching around this passage. But here the words kept back are the same words used in the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, where Achan kept back the treasure and hid it under his tent. 
And, and so he wasn't, Achan wasn't doing the right thing. The first victory that they would uh, have in Israel, they were supposed to give the first fruits to God. And so when they won the first victory, Achan didn't do that. He kept back some things. Same grammar. And so we find here they were leading Peter and the people to believe they were giving. And we don't know how, but somehow Peter knew there was deception. We pick up in verse 3, and Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the peace of the land? Why have you deceived us? How, you know, how did he know? I don't know. Did he go and find out at, the, at the, the city gate? I don't know. We don't know. We don't have that answer. And uh, second opinions is not inspired. So we, we don't know. But here Peter knew and he says, why have you allowed the whole, the Satan to fill thine heart? Peter knew all about Satan's deception. Remember Luke 22? What did Jesus say to him? Satan's going to sift you as wheat. What did Peter do? He went on to deny the Lord three times after saying, I'll never deny you. He knew all about the influence of Satan because Satan had been an influence in his life as a follower of Jesus Christ when he denied the Lord. And here there's an interesting uh, a little thing I want to point out. A lot of people turn to this passage to enforce the Trinity. He says, you've lied to the Holy Ghost. And later he said, you haven't lied unto God or unto man, but you've lied unto God. The Holy Ghost is not a part of the Trinity. He's a person of the Trinity. And later, verse 9, kurios, the Greek word for Lord or Master is found in there. And so you can use this text to point that out. But here, Peter is challenging him. Why have you done that? He says in verse 4, wasn't within your authority, your power? You didn't have to give. So why give and lie about it? The problem here is not giving, remember? It's deception. God hates the lies we tell. Oh, what a tangled web we weave when at first we deceive. And I didn't quote that quite perfectly, but you know that little line. And I've, I've heard some of the greatest lies ever from my boys when they were little. You know, I mean, they can have chocolate running down their chin and swear they didn't have any of that ice cream. Uh, you know, kids don't realize how foolish they look. But do you know, as we grow in Christ, we still look foolish when we lie. Isn't it interesting how the Holy Spirit abides in us? Sometimes people have come to me and told me something I knew wasn't true. Had a neighbor uh, up the street from my work come and tell me something her boss had said and when the words came out I knew it was not true. Her character exposed her own lie. And all of us have told lies so let's not be too hard on people who lie because we all lie but we're told to give up lying when we become a Christian. And the truth is sometimes hard to state and when we lie to justify our actions uh, or lie to cover our trail, we're sinning against God. And I'm amazed at how severe God took this lie because look what it says. In verse 4, he says, you, you could have told the truth. And Ananias, hearing these words, now we don't find Ananias saying anything, but he's just called out by Peter. And he hears these words. And the grammar here is while he's hearing Peter say you've lied, he drops dead. He drops dead. He, he, he got his reward, I guess you'd say. He, he didn't repent. 
God knew his heart, but while he's listening, he drops dead. It's amazing. He drops dead. And of course, we know the Bible says he gave up the ghost. That's a reference to the Holy Spirit. And look what happened. Great fear, phobia, came on all them that heard these things. Peter says judgment begins in the house of God. God expects us to live to a higher standard. The psalmist said, Oh God, my sins are not hid from thee. Oh God, my sins are not hid from thee. How many times have I looked over here to our young section and say, you're going to get caught. Be sure your sin will find you out. But you know what? It's not just them. It's everyone. When I was in Bible college, we had a kind of, we call him the dean. He was the dean of men. I was never on the dean's list academically. I was on his list once in a while. And uh, he would always get up in chapel and say, now the wheels of justice turn slowly, but they turn. He had to be fired a few years later because the wheels of justice caught up with him. But I remember thinking that the wheels of justice turn slowly, but they turn. Now it's amazing how quickly the wheel of justice turned here because he drops dead immediately. We find quite a bit, a bit of this in, in Scripture. In fact, last week we talked about Herod. Uh, earlier we mentioned Achan. Uh, but Jesus said, remember Lot's wife? She desired to go back to Sodom, and that desire cost her her life just like that. Oh, I'm glad for the long-suffering with me. I, I want the Lord to judge all these evil people in the world, but please, Lord, be patient with me. You know? And he is long-suffering. But in this case, God had enough. Remember Gehazi, who took credit for the money, and, or took money for, for Naaman's healing, became a leper. Aaron's sons and the tabernacle, fire devoured them after they had a cultic offer of incense. Remember Uzziah touched the ark. In fact, even David thought that was too severe of a judgment. Now we see the pattern in the example of God judging sin. That does not mean that today because you do something, you're going to drop dead. But we do know people who have dropped dead while in the act of sinning. Years ago, there was a couple, when I was in Bible college, uh, two married people were having an affair. And they thought they just had the best way of getting by with it, but they got in an accident. And one of them was killed, and the other was crippled. And you know, as Christians, we know God will not tolerate us continuing in sin. God forbid means God will not allow it to come to pass. That doesn't mean you're going to drop dead like Ananias for lying about your giving. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying we know as believers we answer to God in this life. If you're lost today, you'll stand before him in the great white throne judgment. But Galatians tells us that every man will reap what he's sown. Believers and unbelievers. And this causes me to think, wow, I don't want God mad at me. What does Hebrews 10, 29 say? It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of an angry God. Remember Uzziah touches the ark. Remember the adulterous woman in, in Numbers chapter 5. She was given some, something to drink and it was poisonous. And if she lied, she were guilty, she'd drop dead. And if not, she would live. Man, that's scary to think about. Peter didn't pronounce death on him, by the way. God did. Ananias didn't say a thing that we can find in the text, but great fear. Verse 6, the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. I mean, that's amazing to me. God can still work that way. We don't find that much today, but we do know every man has a deadline with God. 
I didn't really agree with J. Harold Smith. He came to uh, chapel one time, preached a great message. He was a great preacher. I can't say anything critical of him. But he preached God's deadlines, and he talked about, you know, uh, how he was preaching one time, and a man was in sin, and the guy didn't repent, and he fell out of the balcony, and hit the ground, and died. And he's telling all these stories, and, and I believe he was telling the truth, but I, I'm not so sure I agree with exactly how he presented the message, but I will say this. I agree with the fact that there are deadlines. And God is, is, it gives the gospel opportunity to lost people over and over. But Romans 1 tells us they can get to the place where they reject God so much, he turns them over to a reprobate mind. And the Bible also says there's sin unto death. And I, I, I have to think, he's talking about believers there. You mean God gets tired of believers who disobey him and run from him and takes him out? I believe that. And we don't have to agree on all the minor details of that, but we have to give attention to Scripture and realize God's patience sometimes just runs out. And boy, I don't want to be there when it runs out with me. I, obviously, it didn't make any sense because if he runs patience, I'm going to be there. But look at verse 6. They wrap him up and they're going to carry him off and bury him. And in verse 9, Peter says, how is it that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord. Galatians, I mean, Matthew says, don't tempt the Lord thy God. Uh, Deuteronomy says, don't test the Lord thy God. Listen, realize who God is and reverence him. Kind of scares me when I hear people just curse God and belittle God and make fun of God. You know, uh, I, I, I remember when I was a young guy, I watched a few episodes of a show called Saturday, Saturday Night Live, and I shouldn't admit that to you. I wouldn't watch it anymore, but I was a teenager and I turned it on and they had a lady, church lady, and they just blasphemed God and made fun of God. And I thought, I'm a believer, I'm a young guy, and I thought, you know, one day every knee's going to bow. What are they going to say when God calls them on the carpet for that? Belittling and make fun. Our world belittles God and makes fun of God and makes fun of us belittles the Bible. I was listening to David Jeremiah just this morning. He talked about a guy going on CNN, a preacher, and they said, when is the Bible going to uh, catch up with today's people? I'd love for him to ask me that. <laughs> and, and so would you. But the fact of the matter is, the man didn't quite have all the answers, but we know the Bible's a relevant book. It's, 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 it's right up Caught up with everything. I would have said to him, you know, thousands of years ago, God said this, and it's become reality. I'd have said, you know, you're worried about global warming. God says global warming's coming in the tribulation period. I'd have said the Bible's a very relevant book. It said Israel would become a nation, and in 1948 became a nation. And we could go down through the list, couldn't we, of prophetic fulfillment, scientific accuracy in the Bible, and expose that man for being as ignorant as it was. He chose to be ignorant, but belittling God, belittling God's people, it's commonplace, but it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Don't tempt God. It's okay to fear God. They had great power and great grace. Here in verse 6, great fear. And look at verse 7. Three hours later, she's clueless. She's clueless in more ways than one. She comes in clueless about the fact that her husband's dead and buried already. And she's clueless about the fact that God is all-knowing. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. He sees all of our sin. 
So she comes in and uh, she's asked. She speaks. Her husband's silent, speechless. She lies. Peter answered her unto her, tell me, is this how much you sold the land for? And she said, yes. And she quoted the price. And he lied in action. She lied in word. What a poor leader he was. Peter says, why tempt you the Lord, your God? And Peter basically says to her, you're lying, your husband's dead, and the mortician's waiting out the doors for you because you just lied. That's what he says. That's what he says. Let's read it. Peter answered her, tell me, yeah, we did. Peter said in her, verse 9, how is it that you've agreed together to tempt the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine, you wonder why the church had great fear? I'd imagine the giving for the next few years was quite systematic, quite faithful, and quite honest. I mean, you could imagine the result this had on the church. The whole church learned from this, not just the local church. We're talking about this, what, 2,000 years later? So we're learning from this, the importance of integrity. Remember, this was voluntary giving. So we're talking about, we're not asking you. Years ago, I knew of families, they sold their house and gave it to the church, and then the church had to give the money back because a long-lost niece found out about it and said, oh, we were so close. And the church said, we're not going to fool with a lawsuit, and they gave the money away. Not many people would do this. Maybe there are a few that have done this, and it's great to do that, but that's a voluntary thing. We're not told here to sell our houses and give everything to the church, but they were so compassionate toward the hungry, needy, poor people in their day, they were that giving. And so what a great testimony by Barnabas. What a sad testimony by Ananias and Sapphira. And you know, it's interesting because Ananias' name uh, and Sapphira's name meant beautiful, but she didn't have inward beauty. His name uh, meant, meant uh, the Lord is gracious and he wasn't gracious at all. Live up to your name. Neither of them did. Here are two people who evidently knew the Lord. It says the Spirit left them. And they lied to God. They lied to Peter. They lied in front of the church because they wanted a pat on the back from mankind. Let me say this to you. What you do here at Anchor of Hope, you're doing for Jesus. All of us may benefit from what you do, but Jesus is benefiting because you're serving him. How many times have I said, I'll say it again, if you give a cup of water to a child, Jesus said, you've given it to me. When you give to the Lord, you're giving to the Lord. And be, be honest about it. You say, well, I, I, I'd like to give more. I can't give. That's between you and God. I had a couple here. When I first came here, they'd quit the church. I went to visit everybody and quit the church prior to my coming. And I knocked on their door and I said, oh, I'd love, love for you to come back. I heard you attended. Well, we can't give anything, so we really don't feel we should come. And I said, you know, I'll never know what you give because I don't count the offerings and I don't go and look through the files and I don't know who gives what. And I said, so, so only God knows that. And it, wouldn't it be good for you to be under the word for all the other things? But they didn't want to come to church. They're embarrassed because they couldn't give. Let me tell you something. Stay in church, and that giving is between you and God, but stay under the Word, because you could, the Word will help you in so many areas. I'm not all concerned about who gives what here. It's between you and the Lord. 
As long as we take care of missions, Philippians 4.19, I told the Wednesday night folks, that verse applies to the church that gives to missions. They gave time and again to Paul's necessities. He's, history tells us he started 51 or 52 churches. And he said, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. We hear a lot of people take that out of context. The context is missions giving. As long as we give to missions, God's going to take care of our church. With or without you or me or anyone. This church is God's church. If I were to leave, God would bring another person up. You say, are you leaving? I didn't, didn't plan on it unless you need to let me know today. Let me know. But here's the thing. It's God's church, and I should only be a puppet in this pulpit of God. I'm hoping he's pulling the strings. I pray, God, help this to be your time, your hour, for people to see and hear you. Jesus said in Matthew 15, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So many people give God lip service. Oh, I love God. Oh, do you? That's interesting. We do find John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he... So giving's important, but integrity is what it's all about. You see, if you have integrity, you'll always do the right thing. With your time, with your resources, with your talents, if you're a person of integrity, you'll do the right thing. And so here, he doesn't, he, she, she, he didn't say anything. She does, and look what happens. She dies. She fell down straightway, immediately. Remember all those people we talked about? Here's another one. She dies just like that, gave up the ghost, and the young man came in, found her dead, carried her forth, and buried her by her husband. The result, great fear came upon all the church. As many heard these things, I'd imagine honesty was a popular thing in the church after that. Honesty, integrity. Fear's a good thing. All of you should have a fear of God. And I don't mean you shake with phobia, but you reverence God and you realize God knows everything you do and everything you don't do. And by the way, we talk about committing sin and we, we, can, we can list the 613 commands in the Old Testament that the, the Jews were always emphasizing. But the New Testament says this, he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So maybe you're one of those people who do not do anything for God. Maybe you don't do things that you should do to help others. Maybe you don't encourage and you should. There's also sins of omission. And we have to be faithful in everything. Fear is a good thing. Scripture says, fear God and keep, keep his commandments. If you fear God, you'll keep his commandments. If you don't, you better fear him. If you're a child of God, if you're a child of God and you're not living right, what does Hebrews tell us? The Lord will chasten us. Whom the Lord loveth, he chastens. And the Bible goes on to say that chastening is not fun. It says it's grievous. Grievous. God doesn't chasten us. Well, I can take it, Lord. You know, I can take your discipline. God seems to touch what touches our heart. I knew a, a preacher years ago who uh, ran from the call to preach. He knew he was called. He didn't want to preach. He ran from God. Boy, he wasn't happy when God was done with him because he could never talk again. Cancer ate his throat. 
I've known people who were supposed to do things, and I'll tell you their testimony is I was running from God. I was out of God's will. Had a young man tell me a few years ago I, I was a Christian. I was out of God's will, ended up in prison for years. I realized God wouldn't put up with that from his children. Now some would say, well, if you're, you know, you, you, you must have lost your salvation. Let me say this to you. There were times my kids did some things that they're still my kids. <laughs> they weren't happy when I got done with them, but they're still my kids. My dad taught me the importance of discipline. And I, I disciplined my children, and now I watch them discipline theirs. I've seen all my kids spank their children, except Daniel hasn't spanked Josie yet, but she's four months old. <laughs> I've seen the others get it. Dad, can we use your bedroom? Absolutely, I know it's going to happen. I'm glad they do that. I'm not saying be cruel to them, but children need discipline. You see, discipline, discipline throughout the scripture, training, teaching, training, the word always has to do with, with discipline. It always involves discipline. God disciplines us. He corrects us. Some of the things you're experiencing now may not just be trials. They may actually God disciplining you. And I don't know. Only you'll know that. I've known a few times in my life where God was spanking me. Listen, listen to the Lord. Listen to his word. Fear God and keep his commandments. If you hear today, the very first commandment for you is the same as it was for Nicodemus, a very religious man, a very good man. I believe by studying Nicodemus, what little we know, he was a good man who obeyed the law, a good person in society. Everything about him was good, but in God's eyes, nothing was good because all our righteousness are as filthy rags. And I, I told you what that meant before. I heard a preacher the other day on the radio say that, and it was Chuck Swindoll. And I said, oh, I said that to our people. Some of them blushed. But you know what that means. To God, your righteousness is filthy. It's worthless. But what did God say to Nicodemus? Marvel not that I say unto you a declarative statement. You must be born again. And today, if you're not here, the first commandment God gives you is you must be born again. And if you're not, you're going to hell. That's just what scripture says. I, I may not scream and holler a lot, but I believe hellfire and brimstone. And it's clearly taught in the Bible. So fear God. Keep his commandments, beginning with being born again. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, for your faithfulness to us, your chesed, your Old Testament loving kindness, your New Testament constantly abiding and us being in you and you in us and the fact that we can bear fruit because we're in you and you're in us. And as Christians, help us to be fruit bearing so we're not always under the chastening hand. And Lord, if there's someone here who's not a believer, that today they'll say, I, I, I need to trust Christ as Savior to come forward. If there's anyone here who needs to come for any other reason, to be baptized, church membership, just to get on their knees and pray, speak to hearts. From this moment on, Lord, I know your word just abides with us. It is never, never void. It always has a, a result in the hearts of people. 
Thank you. I felt your presence today, Lord. Thank you for that. Not my feelings, but I knew you were here because your word is here. And the people who needed to hear this message are here. And so I just ask you to just help them to be fruit-bearing people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.